All right. I want to, you guys have been sitting for a while, I'm going to ask you to stand. Go ahead and stand. And uh, I want to read for you a section of scripture. Now, you heard some of this scripture earlier before, but uh, I'm going to take advantage of Ephesians chapter 4, which is what Chandra read in the installation ceremony. You'll see the words on the screen, beginning with verse 11, chapter 4 of Ephesians. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint at which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You may be seated. So between, uh, between roughly 2006 and today, uh, I have owned, I've owned more than this, but I've owned nine vehicles. Those were my vehicles. So that's between 2006 and today. Now, I need to explain that. We have always tried to put Shelly in a vehicle that's reliable. Me, not so much, okay? Until, uh, until a few years ago when my, my father passed away, I, I, I bought his truck uh, after that. And uh, before that, though, I drove what I would call a lot of get-you-by cars. That's what, that's what I drove. That's what we could afford. Uh, I'm somewhat mechanically inclined, so I can work on vehicles, I can fix quite a bit of stuff, but I also know my limitations. I also know the limitations of the tools that I have or don't have. So uh, at the end of the day, I drove all kinds of crazy, crazy vehicles, uh, like a Dodge Intrepid that I think I drove for about three months because every week it burned one quart of oil. That's a lot of oil. And if you know anything about Dodge Intrepid, you know why. Uh, there was a 94 Taurus that I drove for a while that had zero suspension. And uh, nobody ever wanted to ride with me. I didn't understand. Uh, my favorite of all the get-me-by vehicles, though, I was really super stoked about this one. It was a 1989, and it would have been about 2016 when I was driving this. A 1989 blue Dodge Caravan. And... Uh, we affectionately called it the Swagger Wagon because nothing is cooler than your dad showing up at school to pick you up. He's unrolled all the windows and turned the radio up full blast to pick you up at school. I mean, there's nothing cooler in front of all of your teachers that are maybe younger than the age of the van. So uh, that, was, that was the Swagger Wagon. Uh, now, like I said, I can work on vehicles to a certain point, but I know my limits, and so it was a really, really good day when I met a guy named Jeremiah. So I met Jeremiah because he owned a shop, a, a mechanic shop, not far from our house, and the day I met him, I had pulled in with my baby powder blue Chevy S10 with negligible floorboards, and um, I pulled in because that thing had a misfire, and I just couldn't figure out. I, I tried everything I knew, and I could not figure out where the misfire came from. And so I knew about this guy, so I pulled into his shop, I walked up to him, and right from the get-go, I established the parameters of our relationship. Here's how our relationship, Jeremiah, is going to flesh itself out. 
just shoot straight with me. I know this is a piece of junk. I know that. But I just need you to tell me, is it safe? What's the minimum thing that needs to be done to this thing so that I can sometimes drive it four hours one way to go take care of my parents? Uh, I'm going to be driving kids back and forth to school every day. This is my get-me-by car. I understand there's no floorboards. I understand you have to shift from second to fourth gear. I get that. I, I understand that. But there's a misfire. Can we fix that? And is it going to be more expensive to fix that than it is to replace the vehicle with another thing that's kind of semi-okay? And the thing about Jeremiah is he would shoot straight with me every single time. He reminds me a lot of my family growing up. I mean, if you ask somebody in my family for their opinion, you had literally zero right to be offended by the opinion that they gave you. If you did not want the truth, you probably shouldn't have asked. Okay, so they were, they were brutally, brutally honest, and Jeremiah was absolutely no different. If, uh, he told me exactly what he thought, exactly what he thought of that baby powder blue S10. He told me exactly what he thought of the Swagger Wagon. He told me exactly what he thought of the Dodge Dakota that I drove that had more miles than any Dodge Dakota in the history of Dodge Dakotas. He told me exactly what he thought about all of those different things. Uh, but he would give me a list. He'd say, all right, Rich, here's A to Z, everything that's wrong with it and everything I don't even like about it. He would just give me the giant list and then we'd have a conversation. Okay, okay. You know me, I know you. I just need to get down the road and I need to do it safely. You get this. And he saw all these vehicles and it was just kind of this running joke with us. And so he'd shoot straight with me and he'd say, okay, if I were in your shoes and I knew I didn't want to keep this thing for long, here's what I'd fix. This will get you down the road. This will keep people safe. And so that's what we would do. We would kind of hobble along. Now, I really appreciated it. He always told me the truth. And the reality is, is when you tell somebody the truth like that, it hurts sometimes. It costs. Because every once in a while, he'd say to me, look, man, yeah, we got we to replace the head gasket. We've got, we got a valve issue going on right there. To fix that, it doesn't make any sense. You just should just get rid of that thing and get something else. And so I would. And, and so that would always cost me maybe a little bit more, but the truth did that. I needed to hear the, the truth in those instances. Now, I want you to imagine a different scenario. All right, so just because I like saying swagger wagon, let's say I pull the swagger wagon in and go see Jeremiah, and uh, I just need the brake pads replaced, and it's an easy, quick job. It's easier for him to do than me. So, hey, man, would you switch out these brake pads? And by the way, I'm going to be driving to another state, and would you just kind of do a once-over Check out things, you know, just check everything and just, just make sure it's safe so that when I go down the road, I'm, I'm okay. Sure, I'll do that. I go, I come back to pick up the van. I say, well, how does it look? Is there anything I need to know? Oh, man, um, no, no. It looks really good. I mean, I think things check out. I think you're going to be okay. So, so you're good to go. You're good to go. And I'm like, hey, man, that's cool. First of all, uh, he shoots straight with me, right? But the second thing is, there's more money in my pocket, so I, I'm, I'm doing okay. I didn't have to fix anything. I'm not out anything. So the problem is, is when I get across the state line, if you've ever had wheel bearings go out, so all of a sudden, as soon as I get up to speed on the interstate, that front right wheel starts roaring, and I know, okay, man, I'm in trouble. But all of a sudden then, like, man, this is hard to see, or the power steering pump goes out, and then ding, the oil light comes on, and then for the first time, I look in the rearview mirror, and I see smoke billowing out behind me. And so I, I stop, and I limp that thing back to Jeremiah's shop, and I say, hey, man, I asked you to shoot straight with me. I asked you to tell me, 
you know, how is this thing? And clearly you missed some stuff. So, so what happened here? And you kind of, well, man, I mean, I knew that stuff was wrong, but I, I didn't want you to feel bad. I didn't want to tell you. I didn't, you know, I, I was afraid that you might get upset if I told you what was wrong with it. Okay, so in those instances, you need to hear the truth, don't you? You need to hear the truth. So why would I share with you that? And he never did that, just so you know. He, he always shot straight. <laughs> uh, but why would I share with you kind of that, that weird, you know, imaginary scenario? Well, a lot like when that relationship with Jeremiah began, I think it's good to lay out some foundational aspects of our relationship as we begin. And Ephesians 4 gives us that groundwork. Um, truth is a really funny thing. I don't think I'm any different than anybody else, but we love the truth when the truth fits our expectations or how we feel. We love the truth when it's being handed out to somebody else we'd like to see get some truth in their life. But when the truth all of a sudden kind of gets a little closer to home, when the truth settles in on us, makes us uncomfortable, makes us feel like, ooh, if I really agree to that truth, it's going to cost me something, that's a whole different story. That's a different story. We like messages of grace. It's just natural. Everything's fine. You're doing good. You're all right, man. Don't worry about it. Uh, everything's going to be all right. It's all okay. In fact, I think sometimes we avoid speaking the truth because we're afraid of how somebody's going to respond when they do hear the truth. Uh, and trust me, every single pastor, I don't know if this has been your experience, Dave, but every single pastor, I think, is tempted to steer clear of some of the sticky truths sometimes, like financial stewardship or talking about things like human sexuality or, or different doctrines in the church that everybody really kind of, all of a sudden there's tension, all of a sudden there's a little bit of angst. It's easy to steer away from those things because when you begin to speak the truth in certain areas, tension is inevitable. It's going to happen. So sometimes, just like with Jeremiah, it's easier to kind of steer clear of that and instead keep things smooth. The problem is that when you do that, somebody is going to end up at the side of the road. It's not going to end well. Uh, and so just very briefly this morning, because of everything that we've been doing today, I just thought just a couple of things I want to just kind of commit to you as your brand spanking new pastor. <laughs> um, and, the, and the first is this. You'll see it on the screen as your pastor. My commitment is that I will seek to speak the truth in love in love. Uh, the church that Paul was writing to in Ephesus, they had some truth problems. So there were some people showing up on the scene that really were kind of pulling them in non-biblical directions. They were pulling them away from the bottom line truth of the gospel. And they were really struggling with this. And so Paul writes them a letter and says, please don't, don't forsake the truth. You know, make sure you're discerning. Really anchor yourselves on the truth. And so thankfully, it really worked out. Okay, so the church in Ephesus actually eventually became known as really strong truth bearers. I mean, they, they were experts on the truth, known for standing for the truth. Uh, and we know that because if you go all the way to the back of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, Jesus is acknowledging in the book of Revelation, hey, church at Ephesus, you've done like a home run job with the truth. You guys get this. I mean, you have stood up, you've held firm, you've not wavered at all when it comes to the truth. You've done an excellent job, so great deal. Paul's work paid off when he worked with them. But there's a problem. 
They're backslapping each other about how great they are at preaching the truth, but they failed in one area. And these are Jesus' words in Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. He says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. So, I mean, they're, they're doing the right stuff. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. You've not grown weary. Great job. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. Do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So what's he saying here? He's saying, look, you guys got like a PhD in the truth, okay? There's no arguing that, but you're failing in how you treat one another. You failed in how you love one another. The result, Jesus says, I'll just remove your lampstand if you don't get this right. If you don't start dealing with this issue. The Gospels are really clear. Jesus said, the world will know you are my disciples by your truthiness. No, that's not what he said. The world will know you're my disciples by how vigilantly you drop the hammer on people who don't believe what you do. No, that's not what he says. The world will know you're my disciples by how you love. By how you love. Have you ever heard the phrase truth bomb? Truth bomb? Uh, usually it's said by an angry blogger or, or somebody who's making a post on Facebook. I'm about to drop a truth bomb up in this piece. You know, I'm just kind of one of those things. And, uh, and generally speaking, they go off, they call other people out, all that kind of different stuff. I mean, the word's truth bomb, okay? I think a general rule of thumb is if you're going to speak the truth in love, it's not going to come in the form of, uh, of a weapon of war, all right? It's just not going to happen. Now, for sure we need the truth. I want to make sure you understand that. I'm not saying we don't need the truth. Paul says if we don't have the truth, if we don't live the truth, then, then we'll never grow up. We'll just be immature our entire lives. I need people. I need people who care enough about me that when they see things off in my life, when they see me going down a path that I don't need to be going down, when they see some fruit in my life that's not good fruit, I need some people in my life who are willing to come to me and speak the truth and to speak the truth in love. Blind spots. Everybody's got blind spots where all of a sudden some little thing can kind of creep in and begin to take hold. You need that as well. You need that as well. I've never known a growing follower of Jesus Christ uh, who avoids the truth, even when the truth is unpleasant. The truth is really important. Our world needs truth, doesn't it? Our world needs truth to hear it. They need to see the truth. They need to experience the truth. But here's the deal. If your attitude is, I can't wait to drop this truth bomb. Yeah, don't do it. It's a really bad idea. <laughs> uh, can we just get real, real lifers here for a second? Okay. So a few years ago, um, <laughs> a good friend of mine gave me a gift. And uh, we share this uh, equal affection for this kind of little known comic strip 
called Coffee with Jesus. Maybe you've seen this. But it's a, it's a little comic strip called Coffee with Jesus. It always has four panels. And there's always somebody sitting down with Jesus, sharing a thought or asking for advice. And Jesus is sitting there listening to them, and by the end, provides some really gospel-focused advice. But usually it's kind of funny, right? It's kind of obvious stuff. And so a few years ago, my friend gave me this gift, because we have this mutual affection for this. And, uh, and this is what it is. You see it on the screen. This is me sitting down having coffee with Jesus, and he's telling me, don't be a punk. Just don't be a punk. Now, I would love to tell you that I'm never a punk, but then I would not be speaking the truth. Okay. And in all seriousness, some of you have experienced the harshness of what I'm describing right now. Uh, you've been on the giving or specifically the receiving end of harsh words with little or no love attached, allowing wedges to divide the people of God. Uh, it's particularly devastating when it comes from those in leadership in the church. What I want you to know from me today uh, is that my commitment to you is to speak the truth to you, specifically the truth found in the Word of God, which can be uncomfortable at times when it affronts some things in your life. But my goal will always, always be to do so with an eye toward relationship and humility and maturity, with an eye toward love. Which means, as your pastor, I will keep short accounts. Uh, you will find out really quickly, there's hardly a sermon that will go by where I don't talk about food. So one of my favorite things to make is brisket. I love smoking brisket. And um, smoking, yeah, oh, all right, smoking brisket. So like you said, the, the refrigerator analogy, you might want to change that one up for the second service because I'm really good at holding food just like a fridge. So um, when you smoke a brisket, I mean, there's, there's a general rule of thumb. The best way to smoke a brisket is low and Slow, right? Low and slow. You cook that thing low and slow, 11, 13 hours. I mean, it's an investment, right? And so if you do it, and if you do it right, man, all the connective tissue breaks down. That thing just becomes so juicy and so tender. But there's a general rule of thumb that you can, there's too much of a good thing. Too much of a good thing. And so if you go too long with that, all of a sudden you can cross a little threshold that becomes dry. It becomes tough, almost to a certain point where parts of it are inedible. I've done that before, where I just thought, man, longer is going to be even better. Or you forget to go check it or whatever. I would never do that. But um, all of a sudden, it becomes dry, becomes tough. Parts of it become inedible. Now, I don't know much, but I do know from experience that unaddressed resentment or some kind of a simmering offense can cause broken fellowship if it smokes too long. Interpersonal tension is a given whenever people are involved. It happens in churches, it happens in families, it happens in businesses. Anytime you get people together, there's going to be some tension now and then. That's not the issue. That's not the problem. The problem is how do you deal with it? How do you respond when those tensions come? And sometimes in speaking the truth, we betray the in love part. And what happens is little chunks of smoldering coal begin to burn. And they just fester and go on and on 
and on. Now, I'm not sure where keeping short accounts, that phrase, comes from originally. I was shared, it was shared with me by my friend named Dave, Dave Childers. But uh, you'll hear me talk about this quite a bit. If you go through the on-ramp courses, you'll hear about this. Uh, you'll hear about keeping short accounts quite a bit. Um, as Real Life Community Church, we are not followers of Jesus who keep backlogs of sin, guilt, or resentment. We don't do that. Real lifers confess our sins. We ask for forgiveness. And we seek to be quick to forgive others so that we don't have broken fellowship, so that those coals don't fester. A few verses later in Ephesians 4, 25 through 32, this is what Paul says. Therefore, having put away falsehood, he's talking about that truth issue, right, that they're, they're really pull, being pulled in other directions. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we're members one of another. Be angry, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And then here it is. Be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And then here's the hinge pin. As God in Christ forgave you. Now, I don't know about you. To me, that whole paragraph sounds a lot like keeping short accounts. Keeping short accounts with one another. We confess our sins. We forgive one another as soon as we know something's off. We're kind. We're forgiving to each other. We're tenderhearted. Maybe even right now as we're talking, you realize there's some forgiveness that you need to offer. Or maybe even more specifically, some forgiveness that you need to seek because there's some coals that keep that wound festering. Now listen, this is the hard stuff of following Jesus. In my own life, I mean, I've never been asked to sacrifice. I've never been persecuted. I've never, I've really never hardly paid any cost for having the faith that I have. But the greatest tension I've ever experienced as a follower of Jesus Christ has not been some like outside persecution or anything. It's been relational stuff. I think this is really the hardest part of following Christ. I want you to know I have never, never regretted asking somebody to forgive me for something that maybe I've said, maybe something I've done, whether real or perceived. I've never regretted that. I've never regretted taking the initiative to sit down for a hard conversation, face-to-face, -face, not like this, face-to-face, -face, okay, to work out the truth in love. It's not easy. It's the tough stuff. I'm not perfect at it, but I, I still have room to grow, but I'm committed to growing. And as your pastor, my commitment to you is to speak the truth in love and in doing so, keep short accounts. But as far as commitments go, I will ask you to do the same. I will challenge you to do the same. I'm not going to ask you to do something I'm not willing to do, okay? That's not right. 
but my request is that you have the same expectations for yourselves that you would have for me in this area. We need each other. We need each other. We're the body of Christ. We're the church. Uh, when you speak, will you do so in love? Will you commit to keeping short accounts with others? I don't minimize uh, what maybe you've experienced in your life. Please know that. Please know that. We live in a broken world full of broken people. That's real life. But I think real life also is acknowledging that living this truth in love kind of short accounts thing that does not come from us. It doesn't come from us at all. In fact, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How? As Christ forgave you. As Christ forgave you. Today it is my privilege to share in communion with you for the very first time. It is a reminder that in our inability to keep short accounts with God, there is one who paid the account in full for us. He paid the account. And at the table, we commune with God, but in a very real way, we also commune with each other. And I say that because it's hard to commune with Jesus when you have broken fellowship with another believer. It's hard to commune with a fellow believer when you have broken fellowship with Jesus. So I want to invite you to join me today as we approach the table, as we make these commitments to one another, enabled by what Jesus has done for us and what this represents. He paid our account in full. In full. So as a profession of faith in Christ, I would ask that you take that cup and prepare it. If you've not removed the bread, I want to encourage you to do that. In the Church of the Nazarene, we encourage anyone who professes a faith in Jesus Christ to participate with us today in communion. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26 reads, For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we do the same. ask that you prepare the juice. Paul goes on and says, in the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, and drink the cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Father, I'm so grateful for your church. As I stand here, I just I recognize the fact that um, 
the church is my family. My parents are gone. Uh, I don't have many relatives around anymore. This is my family. This is, these are my people. And Father, I'm just so grateful that you've brought them into my life. That you've allowed me the privilege to be able to say this is my family. Um, as the body of Christ, Father, there is a, there's a thing that unites us that transcends so many things. We have the Spirit of God in us, working through us, with each other. Father, I don't, uh, I don't uh, deny the power of what it means to stand here and have the privilege to say that I am the pastor of these people. Help me to not just fulfill my responsibilities, but to do it with joy. To do it, Father, in a way that glorifies you and turns all hearts towards you. And Father, would you help us all to keep short accounts? We as a church will go through all kinds of things together. But in the midst of it all, the greatest gift that you've given us uh, outside of your son is, Father, each other. <laughs> you've given us each other. And so, Father, help us. Help us to know, Father, when to speak. And when we do, help us to speak well in a way that glorifies you and edifies others. Help us to glorify you in everything that we do. And what a privilege it is, Father. What a privilege it is to be your church. We love you. It is in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Next week we start a brand new series, Encounters with Jesus. I look forward to seeing you next week.